0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Calvary Tabernacle podcast. This is Michael Bryan. Thank you so much for tuning in for our fifth episode. Before we get started today, I do want to tell you about a couple of really cool activities we have coming up here at Calvary Tabernacle. So first up, October 30th, 2022, 10 a.m. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be our children's service followed by our friends and family day. So children's service is something we do every so often that's really cool. So our children will handle the music. They'll do a skit. They'll have a choir. They'll do a couple other things, and then we'll always bring in, like, a special children's evangelist who will do a phenomenal job teaching a sermon that the kids really can connect to. But not only that, like, the entire family can connect to it. So you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be an awesome time, and we're going to follow that up with Friends and Family Day, which is going to be a time of food, fellowship, and fun. We would love for you to be there. We'd love to be able to connect with you. We'd love for you to be able to connect with the church family. Um, So remember that day, October 30th, 10 a.m., You're going to want to be there. The other thing I want to tell you about is November 13th at 10 a.m., we will be having our church's homecoming service, which is what we do every year on the anniversary of the church. Uh, I believe this is actually year 38. So you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to have a guest evangelist, Reverend Larry Hoyt from Mississippi. He'll be preaching at 10 a.m., 2 p.m. There'll be a dinner in between those two services. It's going to be a phenomenal time of reminiscing over the past of Calvary Tabernacle, while also really looking to the future of what Calvary Tabernacle is looking to do and the impact it wants to have in Lawrence County, Alabama. Without much further ado, we're going to get into the sermon today. Uh, this sermon's actually—I like to think it's a pretty good sermon. I don't know. I was the one who preached it, so without much further ado, the jump by Reverend Michael Bryan. Stay tuned. Before I get started, I uh, got to take care of some some business that I forget every time I preach. Um, When I was in Bible college Brother Kilman always told us When you go and preach somewhere Even if it's at your home church Always make sure you pay respects to the pastor Because he doesn't have to let you get behind the pulpit And So Brother Kenneth I'm grateful for every opportunity you give me To get up here and speak to your congregation Because I've heard some of my sermons And after some of them I don't know if I'd let myself get back up So Sorry, y'all get to deal with it. For the the past week, I've I've been on vacation, which means I get a lot of time to think. And I've known I was preaching for a week, and so I thought, you know what? I'll get a head start on it. I'll I'll start studying. I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and get my notes wrote, and I'll figure out what it is I'm going to talk about, and and it's going to be great. I came up with a title at 2.30 this morning, so that didn't work. I've wrestled all week about what I was going to preach about. And to be very transparent with you, I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to go with this sermon. I, all I know is at the end there's going to be an altar call, and somehow we're going to get from right here to right there. And it could be a bumpy ride. Sister Angela, put your seatbelt on. I may ramble for a bit. But this morning when I was working on this, I began to think about a conversation I had back at camp meeting with uh, the, the Elder Harrelson, Philip Harrelson, and uh, at camp meeting, I do all their service coordinating, and so I get the opportunity to sit on the platform and hang out with all the really cool big-name preachers, which is intimidating sometimes, but other times it's really cool. And this last year at camp meeting, at the end of the last service, I was sitting there waiting on someone to come close the service so I could tell everyone on the production team shut it down we can go home and brother Harrelson comes and he sits down beside me and he begins to talk to me and and we started talking about the troubles with ministry and things you go through and he looked at me and he said back when I was a young man I started going through some things I started having to fight some battles and now looking back on them and the moment they hurt but now I see that they brought me to where I am they're what made me into the minister that I am pain and hurt is what makes you into what God has called you to be if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah 6 5 through 10 then said I Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims into me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? then said I, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. If you bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today, God. I ask, Lord, that If there be anything within me that can hinder your word from flowing, God, cleanse it, Lord. If there be anything within our hearts that can hinder your word from working in our hearts, God, cleanse it, Lord. God, I want to be a willing vessel, Lord, and and I want to be someone who can receive your word and have it be put to work in my life, God. Lord, move in this place today in your great and holy name. You can be seated. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. In his book, Dangerous Prayers, Craig Rochelle had this to say. He said, when I think about praying the prayer, Lord, break me. He thinks back to an experience that him and his wife once had in a small group. On a cold Wednesday night in January, they were sitting around discussing this prayer. And everyone in the room agreed that they all wanted to pray, Lord, break me, and mean it, but couldn't deny that they were afraid of the consequences. The first woman who spoke took the possibility seriously, but acknowledged her struggle. She was a loving wife and mother of four. She had followed Jesus faithfully her whole life, and she served in the kids' ministry at church. She tithed faithfully and helped foster children, attended a weekly Bible study, and often volunteered to pray out loud in groups. But when confronted with the option of asking God to break her, she refused. Sorry, but I've got to be honest. I don't want God to break me. I'm afraid of what will happen. I'm a mom with four kids. I love them too much. Asking God to break me is simply too scary for me to pray. What if I get sick or depressed or pulled away from my family? Many of the other people in the group nodded their heads in agreement. But the question remains the same for all of us today. What are we losing by clinging to our comfort? What are we missing out on because we're so committed to avoiding pain and discomfort? Luke 22:14 through 19 says, And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks, and said, Take this. Divided among yourself, for I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. This is my body. This, this portion of scripture is very familiar to most of us. We, we probably do it at least once a year. It's, it's known as the communion and we all get together. And usually it happens after a foot washing service. And we'll all get together and we'll get the little stale crackers that someone hid in a closet 40 years ago. And you'll get your little tiny cup of grape juice that does not wash the dryness of that cracker away. And you'll, you'll stand there and you'll all eat it together and then you'll drink the little grape juice and, and you'll pray and, and it's a really wonderful time and it's a, it's a great thing to do in remembrance of God. But some scholars believe when Jesus said, do this, he wasn't talking about the Communion. What if Jesus wasn't just talking about this ritual that we do? What if he was calling us to a life of being broken and poured out? We don't just remember Jesus during the Holy Communion at church. We remember him and how we're supposed to live our lives daily. Because Jesus' body was broken and because his blood was poured out for us. We too should live daily for him broken and poured out. This may not sound appealing at first glance because who really wants to be broken and who really wants to be poured out. That sounds painful at best and miserable at its worst, but it's in the giving of our lives that we find true joy. Rather than pursuing our will, we surrender to His and instead of trying to fill our lives with all that we want, we empty our lives to make a difference in the lives of others. True brokenness before God isn't a one-time event. It's a daily decision. Paul said, in first Corinthians I die daily what does that really mean every day he chose to crucify his own desires so that he could fulfill God's if you have the courage to pray the prayer Lord break me get ready because something will happen this is a calling for every single one of us every single one of us is called to live a broken and poured out life if you want to be used you must first be broken Isaiah 6 and 8 said, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. If you if you read that, you notice something a little strange. The voice of the Lord asked a question, Who will go for me? And Isaiah didn't say, Well, where am I going? Where is he going to take me? When am I leaving? What's the journey going to look like? Should I pack my winter clothes or, or should I take my, my beach clothes? Should I, should I, should I pack some, some tools? Am I going to be out in the wilderness? Where am I going? Isaiah simply said, here I am, send me. When God calls you, he doesn't give you an option of three different itineraries. You don't get to choose between the cruise, the Mediterranean vacation, and, and getting to stay on a private island in the Caribbean. God calls you, you got to go where he calls you. You don't don't get to ask when, where, why, how. The only answer you have is, I'll go. God send me. God use me. I'm not asking for details and I don't need to know the benefits or whether it will be easy or if I'll enjoy it. Because you're God. You're my king. You're my savior. I trust you because you died on a cross for me and you, you created me. I surrender my entire will to you every part of me. Take my mind, my eyes, my mouth, my ears, my heart, my hands, my feet, and guide me to what you want me to do. I trust you, God. My answer is simply yes. Now what's the question? It was October 14, 1947. A man by the name Chuck Yeager was strapped into a tiny little experimental rocket plane, and that plane was in turn strapped to a much bigger plane, and somewhere at an at a altitude of around 25,000 feet, Chuck Yeager pushed a button, and that little tiny experimental rocket plane fell away from the bigger plane. He would then start to speed up, and, and he would press another button, and that little tiny plane would rocket to over 40,000 feet and more than 662 miles per hour. What's so amazing about this is at the altitude of 40,000 feet, 662 miles an hour, is more than the speed of sound. The speed of sound for many years was considered to be a brick wall in the sky. It was insurmountable. It wasn't able to be broken. When they say you break the sound barrier, you literally break through something. Pilots said for years that when they would get close to the speed of sound, the planes would begin to shake and and they would would feel like the plane was going to fall apart. So most of the time they would pull back on the throttle and slow down because no one knows what happens if you keep going. The failure to break the sound barrier was not due to an inability to build a plane capable of reaching those speeds, but the failure was due to a fear of the unknown. You see, when you, when you would approach that, the plane would start to fall apart and, and they, would, they would back off. But for some reason, on October 14th, a man decided that he wasn't going to back down. He decided that, I'm going through with this attempt to the bitter end, even if it means I die. Forget the fear of the unknown. I want to know it. I want to reach a threshold that has never been reached before. I want to do and go places where no man has ever done or gone. The ex- experts on aviation and the most skilled pilots said that men would never break this speed. Men wasn't meant to reach that speed. But a, one man said, I'll do it. I'll go. There are two phrases that come to mind when I think of, about this story of the rocket plane that Chuck Yeager was strapped to. And the first one is how that little plane was strapped to a bomber and taken up to height. The first phrase that comes to mind is if you see a turtle on a fence post just know it didn't get there on its own. And the second phrase is we stand on the shoulders of giants. You see the reason they would lift the tiny little plane up to that height and then drop it was because they could be either really fast or they could have enough fuel to fly somewhere. You could have one or the other. And so they decided I want to be really, really fast and I'm just not gonna take any fuel. And so they got it enough fuel to get it to the speed they wanted it to. And so then they loaded it up in a bomber and they took it up in the air and they dropped it. You have to rely on help to reach a certain point in your walk with God. People may guide you and help you, but you'll reach a point where you must let go and take a massive leap of faith for the unknown or just return back to earth in the same old, same old. I I, I think of that, and I I think of a story in the Bible when, when Jesus was carrying a cross up a hill. And the Bible tells us that they go and they get somebody to help him carry his cross. There's a guy who's referenced only one part in the Bible, and his only job was he helped a Savior carry a cross to the top of a hill. But when they got to the top of a hill, that man didn't get nailed to the cross with Jesus. That man didn't die on the cross with Jesus. His only action of note was he helped carry a cross for a little bit. Sometimes in life, people will help you carry the cross, but if you wanna fulfill your calling, you gotta do it alone. You don't get to have a support group with you on top of the mountain. You have to be alone. Your parents can only get you so far. Your heritage will only get you to a certain point Your youth pastor can only take you to certain places and your pastor can only touch God for you to a certain point. If you want to go further and deeper with God, then you have to go for it and get out of a comfort zone and take the leap alone. If you want it, then take the leap. Go for it. Make the decision. You may not get a second chance. God has called you. He said, come unto me. Then go and reach for it. You have to set aside the security blanket and take a leap. You're going to have to leave the comfortable behind and go. If you want to see the plans and the calling of God come to fruition in your life, you're going to have to go and do it. I was sitting at a table Friday night after the Move the Mission rally, and I was, I was talking to uh, David Goodwin and Carrie Jones, and they're both much better preachers than I am. And I still wasn't sure what I was going to preach about, and they were sitting there talking, tossing, sermons back and forth and I said well I'll just go ahead and start taking notes because I mean if it works for them maybe it'll work for me and so we we're sitting there and we were talking and, and David started talking about how he had planted a church in Hoover and all the pain that came with it and, and how much of a struggle it was to follow after this calling and he said but you know planting a church is a lot like giving birth to a baby Following after the calling of God is a lot like giving birth to something. There's gonna be a whole lot of pain, and you're gonna have to go through some stuff, but what happens after the pain is worth all of it. You see, the baby, if it had its way, it'd probably never try to leave the womb. Inside the womb it has everything it needs. It's, It's comfortable, it gets oxygen, it gets fed. The mother takes care of it, but that was not the intention of its conception. It was created to go through a process of birth and grow. Likewise, if we want our callings to come to pass, if we want to be used, if we want to see the kingdom of God manifested and molten as in heaven, we must be willing to leave behind the comfort and the safety of these walls and take a leap of faith. I begin to think about when I got called. Several years ago. I don't like that I'm old enough to say several years ago and be talking about times after high school. Several years ago. Like six. Six years ago. I graduated high school seven years ago. And that's nuts. But several years ago, I was sitting in a church service. And it was one of those rocking services where the Spirit of God's just moving and, and we're in the middle of altar call and they're like walking down the row and laying hands on people. and And I watched as... The friend, two or three people down, they laid hands on him and he just falls out speaking in tongues. And they did it to the next friend, and then the next friend, and then they're on the friend right beside me and I'm like, oh Lord, here we go. Not that I have anything against having hands laid on me and and falling out speaking in tongues, but sitting right behind me was this row of little old sweet ladies. And those chairs were not very strong. And the only thought running through my head was, Lord, don't let them lay hands on me, because I will kill somebody when I fall on them. Needless to say, they didn't lay hands on me. And they moved down. And that, had, that really had nothing to do with the story. That was just the only thing I really remembered from the altar call, other than what happened next. And altar call kept going and kept going. And, and 20, 30 minutes later, I'm sitting there and just basking in the presence of God and All of a sudden, it was like everything got quiet. And I remember the prayer that I was praying prior to that was, God, what is my calling, and what do you want me to do? And it was as if this lady walked up and just yelled in my ear. I mean, I know she didn't, but it was all I heard. And she said, quit asking God about your calling. He's already told you it's time for you to go and do it. And I remember going, well, all right, I guess I'm going to go do it. I don't know what going, I don't know where I'm doing, but I'm going. Since I was a boy, I'd felt a call to preach, so I said, well, I guess that's what it's about. I'm going to go preach. And the next week, I went to an Urshan Preview weekend, and I didn't want to go to Urshan. I never felt a call to Urshan. I was going to see a girl. Sometimes going to visit church services to see a girl is a good thing. I'll just go ahead and tell you, I've got more out of going to see a girl at a church service, because I had no intention of going for the church service, but walked out with a blessing that I wouldn't have got if I had stayed at home where my mom told me to stay. She used to throw fits. Me and these two other guys I went to church with every single weekend, it seemed like we were going to a different church. And we would, we'd go and we'd find a, find a cute girl and we'd start going to her church and we'd go every weekend. And then whatever would happen, we'd, we'd It'd not work out, obviously, because I didn't marry any of them. But it wouldn't work out. And so we would find a different church with a different cute girl. And we'd start going there every single weekend. I actually went back and visited one of those churches. And the lady's like, Oh, I'm so glad you came back. I love it when prodigals return. I'm like, I never even came here, really. I just came to see that one girl. But whatever. I mean, sure, it's good to be here. But I was going to Urshan to visit, see my cousin. She wasn't the cute girl I was going to see. I'm not from Alabama, just so y'all know. But I was going to see my cousin and to go see this other girl. And so we, we left and it was a group of us and we're driving to Urshan and we get pulled over like four times in Oklahoma. And so we end up getting to Urshan late and I was in traveling clothes. Now I don't know, some of y'all may be higher class than me and y'all travel wearing suits, but when I'm going on a road trip, I like to look as homeless as possible. It hasn't worked yet, but I'm hoping if I look homeless enough, when I walk into the front door of a loves, somebody's going to be like, oh, here's you some money, and then I can just pay for gas without having to use my card, but it hasn't worked yet, but it will. So anyways, I'm, I was in like athletic pants, and I had this Texas A&M hoodie that I had had since I was like 13 years old. And at the time, I was almost 20, so I mean that's seven years. That was several years prior, and I had this A&M hoodie, and this thing was worn out. Like the only reason you knew it was A&M was because where the letters had been, and they had like fallen off. You could still kind of see the outline of where the threads had been. And one elbow was like worn completely through, like you could see it. It was it was an ugly hoodie, and I was wearing that, and I hadn't shaved. I had a hat on all day. And I'm going bald and if you're going bald and if you're wearing a hat, it doesn't tend to look very well when you take the hat off. Because then there's like a patch here and a patch here. You look like a mangy dog. And so anyway, so I walk in and they're like, hey, service started 20 minutes ago. Y'all got to get up there. And I'm like, oh no. Lord have mercy. What am I going to do? And so I go and I decide I want to sit on the very back pew in the Urshan Chapel. And I'm just going to hope no one looks at me. And so I sit there on the back pew, and the sermon was really good. I don't remember who preached. I remember the title was A Brook Called j Powerful sermon. And after the, after the sermon was over and after altar call, I'm still back there in my little pew, and I look up, and you know how you can tell if someone makes eye contact with you? You, you can just kind of feel it. I felt it, and I look up, and there's a guy, the preacher, standing on the stage, and he is staring directly at me. I'm like oh my goodness here we go they think a homeless guy just wandered in they are gonna come pray me through I don't know what I do wrong when I go and visit churches I've I've always had this uncanny knack of when I walk into a church to visit I can be dressed like a Pentecostal I can raise my hands and, and do everything right but for some reason there's always gonna be one person that thinks I've never been to Pentecostal church before in my life And they're going to come lay hands on me, and they're going to try to pray me through to the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, I already got it, bro. Like, what are you doing? But I'm like, that's about to happen. It's going to happen. Here he comes. And he makes a beeline down off the stage and down the back aisle. And he comes over there to me, and he walks up to me, and he looks at me in the eyes, and he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know why you're here. And I don't know if God's calling you to earth. And we're not off to a good start in that conversation. I was like, oh, no, he's about to tell me I need to get out of here. And he goes, but God told me to come tell you he's calling you to Bible college. It's time for you to go. Turns and walks away. Didn't even shake my hand. That's why I never went back to her. they didn't follow up with their guests very well. But I left, and I left there thinking, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to go to Bible college. All right, God, whatever, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. The very next week, I guess I'm a hard-headed person. This all happened in three weeks. The next week I was at Texas HYC in Lufkin, Texas. And if you've never been to a holiday youth convention in Texas, you probably should go. It's an experience. There's like 10,000 people. It's huge. And I'm sitting on the Friday night about halfway back right behind the media booth. And church was church was great. It was phenomenal. I have no idea who preached. I don't remember the title of the sermon either. All I remember was at the end of altar call, I'm sitting there, and my phone buzzed. And, you know, maybe y'all are more spiritual than I. Maybe y'all don't get on your phones at all in church. Oh, Jamie did text me back. Maybe y'all don't get on your phones in church, but I do every once in a while. And my phone buzzed, and I'm like, well, I'm done praying, so I'll I'll look at it, see who it is, you know? Maybe it's one of those cute girls I came down here to see asking if I want to go get dinner. Alas, it was not a cute girl. It was a man. And he was not cute. And I'm not into that. But it was a friend, and he texted me, simply, are you here? And I just responded, I mean, I could have been sarcastic. I knew what he was talking about, but I could have been like, where's here? I mean, I may be there, I may not. And I said, yes. And he said, where? And I said, media booth. And so about five minutes later, I see a figure come running down the side aisle. And he comes walking up to me, and he goes, Michael, I don't know why, but I was praying and I felt like I needed to come tell you something. I said, alright man, what's up? And he goes and he looks at me and he says, God's calling you to Bible college and it's time for you to go. And turns and walks away. And I said, well all right." I could have just thought the first two were just crazy people, but the third one, it's a little too much confirmation. So I decided to go to Bible college and I enrolled in Indiana Bible college and it was obviously the call of God for my life. If it wasn't, then there's three liars that need to go repent somewhere. But so, I go to Bible college, and, and I'm thinking it's going to be wonderful. I'm going to, I'm going to love this. I'm going to go to Bible college. I'm going to do my four years. I'm going to get out, and I'm going to go be a big-name pastor somewhere, and, and life's going to be dandy. I made it a year, a year and two months. <laughs> and they called me into the office one day and said, Michael, you don't have the money to stay. You're going to have to leave. I said, okay, cool. And I looked in my wallet. I don't know why I'm telling this story. But I looked into my wallet, and I had $75 and an overdrawn credit card. Overdrawn credit card. For any of you English people, it's drawn, not drone. But an overdrawn credit card. And I'm like, how do I even get home? I'm 15 hours from home. Like, I don't even have enough money to put gas in my car to get halfway home. And this was before Biden was in office, so, like, inflation wasn't a thing. And I still couldn't afford to drive home. And so I was sitting in my dorm room, and I packed all my stuff up, and I went up to a room, and I talked to a friend. And he goes, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just packing my stuff. I'm leaving. He goes, oh, okay. And that's all he said. Like, I was expecting, like, some tears, like, a, you've been my best friend. I couldn't have made it through this year without you. He goes, Okay rolls over and goes to sleep so I go back to my room and I'm like God I followed you here I gave it all up to come here I gave up a full ride scholarship to be here it's it's in your hands I don't know what you want to do right now but it but it's 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 in your hands God and so I'm sitting there and the next morning they said you got to be out by Sunday night and so it's Sunday morning and I get a phone call And that friend who had rolled over and gone back to sleep, his dad was calling me. And I picked up the phone and he said, Hey, here's some stuff going on. I said, Yes, sir. And he goes, Okay. Don't go anywhere until I call you back. I said, Okay. Okay. I mean, I don't have the money to go anywhere, anyways. And so I sit there and I sit there and I sit there. And about nine o'clock that night, he calls me back and he said, All your stuff packed? I said, Yep. He goes, Okay. Be at my house in 30 minutes. I said, all right. I mean, I'll go. I got nowhere else to go, God. This is it. I don't know what I'm going to do now. And so I drive and I, and I go to his house. And he's like, we have a parsonage at our church. Why don't you move in there and help out the church? And I said, okay, I'll do it. I got nothing better going on in my life. I'll do it. And so I'm there and I'm painting a Sunday school room about a week later. And I'm listening to an audio book on my, on my phone, and I get a phone call from an unknown number. And I don't know if any of y'all have ever tried to uh, decline a phone call while having a glove on your hand. It doesn't work well. And I accidentally hit answer the phone call. And before I could hang up, the guy's is like, is this Michael Bryan? I said, yes it is. How do I get out of this one? If you're calling about my credit card, I ain't got the money. You gotta look, get in line. And he goes, I'm with Guitar Center. And I said, okay. What can I do for you? He said, have you ever applied for a job with us? And I said, yeah, which I had several years before that. When I was in high school, I had applied to work at one in Texas. He goes, okay, um, tomorrow show up at this address for a job interview. And I said, okay. And he hung up. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm going to get killed tomorrow. Like, he didn't give me a name. He didn't give me a phone number. He didn't tell me who I was meeting. All he said was, go to this address for a job interview. So I wake up the next morning, and I get all dressed up. You know, I put on my, put on my Bible college suit, and I had a tie on. I hate ties. And I had a tie on, and, and I, I got to look at my best. And I drive to this address, and I walk in the door, and I said, I'm here for a job interview. And the lady looks at me, and she goes, Oh. Okay, who are you interviewing with? I said, I don't know. (laughs) And she goes, oh, okay. Well, I guess sit over there. And so I sit over there for about 30 minutes to an hour. And this guy walks in, and she grabs him before he goes through the double doors, and she goes, hey, that guy right there, he needs a job interview. And I said, and he goes, okay. And he takes me back to his office, and turns out he's like the VP of Guitar Center. And he's like, so what are you applying for? And I was like, I don't know. Someone called me and said, show up here tomorrow for a job interview. So here I am. And he's like, all right. And so he interviews me and he then offers me a job and I took it, I mean, I, I really didn't have a choice. Like, I mean, what am I going to do, say no, go back to painting Sunday school rooms? Like, I still don't have the money to drive home. And so I take the job and he's like, you'll hear from somebody in the next week to do all your onboarding. And I said, okay, that'll be cool. And so I leave. And I know now, I didn't know then, like you're supposed to like get their information. Like you should probably get whoever interviewed you's business information. Malachi, one day you're going to get a job. If you go to an interview, hopefully you're going to get a job. If you go to an interview and they interview you, before you leave, make sure you get the guy's name, hopefully a phone number. Brother Steve, it wasn't a cool interview like the one you gave me, which still goes down in history as the craziest interview I've ever had in my life. Am I allowed to talk about that? So I, I think that was a yes, I, I don't know. So uh, <laughs> Kenneth called me one day, and, and I'm gonna go off on a tangent, I'm sorry. If y'all wanted to get out of here quick, y'all should have left after Sunday school. <laughs> Kenneth calls me one day and he goes, hey, have you ever thought about working at a funeral home? And I'm like, no, not really. And he goes, well, they're hiring for a funeral director, you wanna go up there and interview? And I was like, sure, why not? I mean. I hated my current job like why not and so I go up there and we're we're sitting there and they Steve and uh, the owner interview me and uh, they asked me a bunch of questions they did the normal stuff and then Steve's like oh yeah I gotta go get a body ready for a funeral you wanna come back there we'll continue this back there and I'm like oh yeah sure at this point I had never touched a dead body in my life like you're lucky if I'll pull a fish off a hook and so we go back there, and, and, he, and I'm expecting, like, he's just going to ask me questions while he does his job. He goes, gloves are over there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> gloves are over there. So that was my job interview, and I ended up not taking the job, but there you go. There's the story of the wildest interview I've ever had. So I, uh, I go home, and I'm waiting on a phone call, and the whole next week the phone call doesn't come. And I'm sitting there like, all right, God, like you got to figure this out. I followed. This is your problem now. I got on the boat. You were supposed to figure out where it's going. And so I, I begin scrolling through my phone, and I find the phone number of the original guy who called me, and I call him, and I said, Hey, man, this is Michael Bryan. He goes, Who? I said, You called me last week and told me to go somewhere for an interview, and he goes, Oh, oh yeah, I'll reach out and find out what's going on with that. And so. calls me back and he goes someone from that office will be calling you soon I said okay so the next day I wake up and there's a phone call and and I answer it and it's the HR lady for that guitar center and she's like hey have you ever applied up here and I said be completely honest with you no." I said I applied for one in Texas several years ago and she's like who sent you here for an interview and I told her the name and she goes I don't even know who that is I'm like okay well he sent me there and y'all offered me a job so when can I start and she goes well you're gonna have to actually go apply And so I go and fill out the application and I go in and and they end up hiring me and uh, this whole time I'm flabbergasted like how did I even get here like what happened because it turns out the guy who called me and told me to go to the interview was like a shipping guy like he worked in California and was in charge of shipping guitars He had nothing to do with the job that I got hired for. They're like, I don't even know how he ever ever saw your application. He doesn't even have access to that stuff. I'm like, well, he called me and he told me to show up here. And here I am. Thank goodness for people that like to snoop around in things that don't pertain to them. Because I would have been homeless without it. Told you, Mama, being a busybody would get me somewhere. So I start working, and the whole time I'm wondering, God, why... Did you call me to Bible college and then not let it work out? God, why am I here in Brownsburg? God, why am I, why am I doing this? Why am I working at a guitar center? I thought you called me to Bible college. That was the calling. That you, you confirmed it multiple times. Why am I here? And one day I'm sitting there and I'm talking about church. And a lady behind me at the other desk turns around and she goes, you said you work for a church. And I said, yeah. And she goes, what kind of church? And I said, Oh, a Pentecostal church. And she's like, Are y'all one of those people that speak in tongues? And I said, That like changed on me and scared me. And I said, Yeah, we, we do speak in tongues. That's, that's what we do. And she goes, I've been looking for your kind of church my whole life. She said, When I was five years old, my grandparents took me to a Pentecostal church and I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And then for some reason, she never went back. And here she was, 35 years later, looking for a Pentecostal church and didn't know what to look for. All she knew was, at one point in time, she was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she wanted to experience that again. Sometimes the calling of God isn't going to take you where you want it to take you. Sometimes it doesn't end up how you want it to end up. Sometimes the picture that you think you're looking at isn't the whole picture. Sometimes the dreams don't work out. Sometimes Maybe the wall falls apart and you may end up where you never thought you were going to end up. But if it's still in the call of God, he still has a plan for it. He has a will for it and he has a way out of it. I've been asked the question, Michael, how did you end up in Moulton, Alabama? The easy answer is I had a cousin who was a mail-order bride. (laughs) Not really. She wasn't a mail-order bride. I don't know why. From when I was five until I was 20, I always thought she was a mail-order bride. I don't know why. But anyways, I had a cousin who married a preacher. That's the short answer. That's the easy answer. The real answer is because there was a moment in time where there was a calling, and I said, God, I don't care where it takes me. I don't care what the path looks like. I don't care if it ends up how I want it to end up. I'll go. I'm willing to go. I'll go anywhere. Now, where do you want me to go? You see, if you want to go to new heights in your walk with God, if you want to do something for God, you have to be willing to leap. I've spent my entire life hearing people make excuses for why they don't reach their full potential. I myself can at times be a bottomless pit of meaningless excuses. I'm very adept at uh, coming up with reasons why I didn't do something. But excuses are a a lot like some body part, noses. Everyone has one and they all smell. Some of y'all knew what the real quote was and y'all thought I was going there and I'm not. And y'all are heathens for it. Our 33rd president, Harry S. Truman, had a famous quote that says, the buck stops here. Quite profound, actually. What he was saying was the blame goes no farther. Pilot here and I will take care of it. We so often pass off blame that, that we don't realize if we would just simply take action, there would be no reason for the blame. I've heard it all. I can introduce you to friends that I went to Bible college with, friends that didn't drop out, friends that graduated that are sitting on church pews because they don't think they're good enough. I can introduce you to people with callings that aren't doing it because they're not smart enough. I can introduce you to people that don't think they're eloquent enough or they're not talented enough or I've done too much wrong, I've sinned, I've fallen short of the glory of God too many times. He'll never use me. I'm broken. The simple fact of the matter is God likes to use broken people. One of my favorite things about the story of Chuck Yeager is a lot of people don't realize when he broke the sound barrier, he had broken ribs. The night before, the night before the biggest night of his life, this man made the brilliant idea of, I'm going to go ride a Bronco at a rodeo. I mean, I guess if you're a risk taker, you're just a risk taker. I'm not. I don't fly planes really fast. I don't fly planes at all. And I don't ride bulls or Broncos. I mean, first off, I've yet to see a Bronco that could probably hold me. I could just imagine they open the gate and the Bronco's like, yep, nope, I'm done. It's over. They throw a penalty when that thing dies under me. But he had broken ribs. He was a broken man. as a matter of fact, the story goes, he couldn't even reach the button to take off that morning when he realized he was so hurt he couldn't reach it he went and cut a broomstick sometimes your calling is gonna need you to do things when you're broken and you're not gonna have the potential you think of to get there you may have to go cut a broomstick you may have to may have to do some things that that aren't normal so that you can reach the calling God called you for and so he cut a broomstick and that's how he was able to drop out of that bay of that plane was because a broomstick Brother McPhee's not even in here. I literally wrote a whole portion of this sermon just for Brother McPhee. He's not even here. There goes 30 minutes of my time. Me and Brother McPhee, uh, there's a sermon we both like. I think he's preached it. I've yet to preach it. I just have the notes for it. But in it, it talks about how Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit and John Mark was rejected by Paul. Timothy had ulcers and Amos is only training was at the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar and David had an affair and Solomon was a little too rich. Abraham was too old and David was too young and Peter was scared to death. Lazarus was dead and God still used him. John was self-righteous, Naomi was a widow and Paul was a murderer. So was Moses for that fact. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, Miriam was a gossiper and Gideon and Thomas were both doubters. Elijah was burned out, Martha was a worrywart. Mary was, some think was lazy. And Samson had long hair. God used someone with long hair. Noah got drunk and that's not all. Moses had a short fuse. The list of flawed and unqualified people that God can use goes on and on and on. God never called a perfect vessel. If he did, I never heard about it. I can go and I can introduce you to people that are ex-drug dealers now working as pastors. I can take you and introduce you to porn addicts who, who are now working in churches. I can, I can go and introduce you to people who've, who've come, from, come out of prisons that are now walking in freedom and in their calling. It doesn't matter how imperfect you are as long as you follow after a perfect God. He called you in your imperfections. He called you in your scars and He called you in your brokenness. The simple fact of the matter is, is He called you. Calvary Tabernacle, you weren't called to just come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. You weren't called to just sit on a pew. You were called for so much more. Calvary, you were called to change your world. You were called to reach Lawrence County. You were called to impact Moulton, Trinity, East Lawrence, Decatur. You were called to take a perfect life-giving gospel into an imperfect and dying world. You were called to transform your world. Are you tired of a life of unfulfilled potential deserted and forgotten callings. It's time that we make up in our minds that I don't care what sin I've done. I don't care what's happened in my past. I don't care whether or not I'm a really good speaker or a really good singer. I don't care if I feel ill-equipped and ill-prepared. I'm going to change my world. I was called for this. We were all called to shake this world around us, and it's time that we go for it. We're called to shake the world around me. We're called to be ground shakers, world changers, heaven movers. It's time that you go for it. There's only one proven way to find out whether or not you can change your world, and that's to go try and do it. Quit backing away from the edge. You're called to jump. God is waiting for you to jump. He wants to use you to change your world, but first you have to jump. There's, there's a saying of a journey of a thousand miles starts with a step. It doesn't start on mile 900. It starts at the first one. If you were to look up the story of Abraham, you would find that when he was an old man, God would give him a son named Isaac. And Abraham would would have this baby that he had wanted his whole life, and he would start to raise him. And several years go by, and God calls Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, and I want you to go to a mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. I can imagine in Abraham's mind, he was probably saying, but God, Why? This was my blessing. Why would I go sacrifice him on a mountain? That's barbaric. Surely it terrified Abraham, but he decided to have faith in God and he took a jump. He would take Isaac up to a mountain and he would build an altar and he would proceed to take his blessing and place it on that altar to sacrifice back to God if it's what God wanted. He took the jump and then God would step in and provide. God provided a ram as a replacement for Isaac, but then God proceeded to bless Abraham all because Abraham took a leap of faith and jumped. One of my favorite poems is The Charge of the Light Brigade by Lord Alfred Tennyson. And a couple of lines out of it read like this. Forward, the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew. Someone had blundered. There's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Canyon to the, cannon to the right of them. Cannon to the left of them. Cannon in front of them. Volleyed and thundered stormed out with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the 600. These lines have always intrigued me. You see, here we find 600 men riding into battle. Someone called them and said, we're gonna go fight a battle. And so they go out and they don't know if they're coming home, they don't know what's gonna happen. And the story tells us that they all die. But they still took the jump. Unlike the men in this poem, we have a promise that it doesn't matter what we go through. We still serve a God who's bigger than it. I don't, I don't need to worry about my calling. If I follow it, okay, it was God's plan. God tells me in the Bible that he has plans to prosper me, not to harm me. I don't need to worry about it. All I need to do is take a jump. Those God calls, he enables, and those he enables, he'll equip. And those that he equip, he makes win, but only if they'll first jump. I'm coming to a close. The musicians want to come. Throughout the Bible, we find instance after instance of God performing miracles through willing vessels. He never shied away from using broken vessels for this. Matter of fact, God prefers broken vessels. I was reading last night, and, and a story popped up, and it's a story in the Bible we've all heard of, and it's the miracle of the five loaves and the fishes. Jesus is, is, is grieving, and so he goes to look for some alone time. And, and while he's out there, word leaks out that Jesus can be found over by the sea. And so all the people from the neighboring villages come out, and they listen as Jesus begins to teach. And then the Bible tells us that God's like, well, how are we going to feed them? Where are we going to get the food? Chick-fil-A wasn't around back then. Chick-fil-A is the only restaurant I can think of that could do 5,000 people in a timely manner. I mean, that's like a 20-minute lunch rush, honestly. But Chick-fil-A wasn't around back then. Who's going to feed them? How's it going to work? There's no all-you-can-eat Chinese buffets. There's nothing. And so they begin to look through a crowd. And one of the disciples tells them, all we have is a little boy with five loaves and two fishes. And I don't know how they talked this young man into giving up his food, but the important thing is that he gave it up willingly. This feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children is told in each of the four Gospels, and neither of them allude to a hostile mill takeover. The disciples didn't go become lunch bullies and steal the milk money. So the boy obviously gave it up willingly. Please accept that even in the most precious and sentimental things you own must be given over to the hands of Jesus if you want to reach your full potential. That which you're holding in your hands as near and as dear as it is to your heart was never meant to be held on to. When you get to the place where you can give it back to the giver of every good and perfect gift, it will be broken for a greater good. This young man's daily bread, his nutrition was broken and blessed, and within a few minutes, 5,000 people were fed. Had this little lad not given his lunch to be broken and shared, he simply would have consumed it. And he probably would have grown old and told a story about how one day he got to sit by the shore shore of the sea and listen to Jesus preach. And that would have been the whole story. That would have been it. He could have easily missed the miraculous blessing that he was called to participate in. The point is, is, you must be willing to give your gift to God so that it can be broken. If it's never broken in His hands, then it will never be a blessing through your hands that it was meant to be. If you want to be used by God, if you want to fulfill the calling that He has for you, if you want to see His blessings flow through you, you must first be willing to be broken. After you're broken, then you must be willing to jump and follow after the call at all costs. I'm reminded of a story about a man named William Borden. Most of y'all don't know this, but... There was once a man by the name of William Borden, and his family was very, very wealthy. If you've ever gone to a public school in America, you've probably drank a carton of milk that said Borden Family Farms on it. If you've ever gone to the grocery store, you've probably seen the name Borden. William Borden was the heir to that fortune. He went to Yale, got a business degree and graduated, and he would go home, and he would start to take over the family company, until one day he decided, this isn't what I was called to do. William Borden would go to his father and say that he wanted to go to Bible college. And his father would basically disown him and say, If you want to go, go, but you're giving all this up. And so William Borden would go to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Illinois. And there he would write in his diary or his journal, because that's more manly. He would write in his journal, No reserves. I've given it all up. There's nothing to turn back to. This is it. I've, I've, I've broken everything that I had, this is my path, I have nothing holding me back. William Borden would, would leave Moody Bible Institute a couple years later, and he would feel the call of God to missions. And he would get on a boat to go to Cairo, Egypt. And while on that boat, he would write in his diary or his journal, whichever one you prefer, no returns. What he was saying there was, I've accepted the call, I've given up all my reserves, there's no coming back from this. I've made a decision that this is my path from now into eternity, I'm never turning back. While in Cairo, after a couple of years, William Borden would get sick with yellow fever. Lying on his deathbed, he would write in his journal, no regrets. The last words that this millionaire turned missionary would ever write would be no regrets. Because when you decide that you have no reserves and that there's no returns and you're following after the call of God, you're never gonna regret it. It doesn't matter what goes on. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how it all ends up. As long as you follow the call of God, there's no regrets. I never once for a moment regret giving up my, my, my future and going to Bible college. I don't regret leaving Bible college. I don't regret moving to Brownsburg. I don't regret going to work at Guitar Center. I don't regret going to Wisconsin. I don't regret moving to Alabama. Because when you're following the call of God, there are no regrets. The only regret you could ever have is not following it. If you stand with me, I got one last story for you. I've been told this story my first Sunday school teacher and I've heard the other side of it and so I'm going to tell you to you as I heard it and I don't know how how honestly how accurate it really is parts of it could be embellished I don't know all I know is what I was told several years ago I don't know 20 years ago 30 years ago my father wasn't in church and he was working as a paramedic in in the city of Sherman and There was a lady who would go on to be my Sunday school teacher, her father one day went to the church and he was praying and he said, God, I want to be used to reach a soul. I want to be used to see someone saved. And someone heard him praying that and ran up to him and said, don't pray that you have a family. If, if If you really tell God, God take my life if it means you're going to save a soul. Just be careful. It may happen. And so he said, no, I'm serious. I don't care if it means I die. I want to be used to reach somebody. A couple weeks later, the man was, he was a welder, and he was working in a factory. And he cut into a pipe that was, that had hydrogen in it. And it was supposed to be empty, but someone had forgot to turn it off. And when he cut into it, the pipe exploded and it burned him. The first person to show up on scene was my father. It wasn't long after that my father got back in church. I'm here because someone prayed a prayer and said, I don't care if it takes my life, I just want to be used. I don't care if it means I'm going to die, I just want to be used for you, God. I don't care the consequences and I don't care the cost. These altars are open today. If, if that's you, if you want to serve God no matter the cost, if you want to see the will of God done in your life, no matter what it takes, the altars are open. There's a calling. God's waiting on a church willing to go, willing to reach, and willing to jump. Will you jump? There's a burden and a calling, Charles. See, will you go? the Corey, God has a calling and a plan for you. Are you willing to sell out and go? He's calling today who is willing to go deeper and further than they have ever gone in the spirit before. He's calling today who's willing to say no matter the price and no matter the cost, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to go. Here I am, Lord, send me. I have nothing to give but myself. Use me. I have nothing left. Use me. I have no reserves. Use me. I promise you'll never regret it. Thank you for tuning in today for this sermon. I hope it was a blessing to you and and that maybe it inspired you to go deeper in your walk with God. I do want to leave you with the parting words of you will never regret following after the call of God and you'll never regret the sacrifices you make for His will. If you would like to learn more or like to connect uh, with Calvary Tabernacle, reach out to us at Calvary of or on Facebook or Instagram, Calvary Tabernacle of Moulton. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to help you in your walk with God. Anyways, don't forget October 30th, Friends and Family Day and Children's Sunday, and November 13th, Homecoming. We'd love to see you there. God bless and have a great day.